right, good morning, good to see all of you. Um, I looked up the song that we sang, Come Thou Fount, as Bobby said, it was for the older people. That song was written in 1758, so come on, Bobby. Um, somewhere around uh, Maranatha, Vineyard, I don't know what it is, but uh, anyways, 1758, all right, so, uh, but it is that line, right, that we sing together, right, that the that God is timeless, and since 1758 till now, we sing and we worship uh, in, uh, to the same God with the same affections that they did back then. And so it is a timeless song for all of us. You know, today I want to share with you about the story that we know so well, that Joseph is in prison and God is with him. Those two truths are shared with us in the text that we read. Uh, you think about life, and we know how difficult life can be. Um, you know, it is at the Nicene Council, a very important church uh, meeting in uh, church history. In the 4th century, there were 318 delegates attending from all over Europe. And they said only fewer than 12, right, um, had not lost an eye or lost a hand, or did not limp on a leg that was tortured um, because of their Christian faith. So over 300 walked into this meeting going and enduring some hardships. And granted, we today as we gather, and maybe a lot of us have pains and hurts and injuries that is not visible to the eye, but we have gathered like this. Many who are gathering at home uh, with us here. Uh, we're bringing our pain and we're coming to God in this way. And today we see from this story some truths about trials in life. Right? The first truth about trials is with life comes trials. Right? That's the first truth I want to share with us. All of us, as we live life a little bit, we face trials. Um, the older and as time goes by, there is different types of trials that we will face. And so we always long back to our youthful days when life was good. Life was carefree. Life was easy. And then as time goes on, you care for aging parents or you lose loved ones. Your health goes bad and so on and so forth. And we face all of these things. The Bible tells us how hard life is. This is the truth in the Bible. Job 5, 7 says, But man is born to trouble as the sparks fly upward. Right? Just as sparks will go up in a fire, so man is born unto trouble. Uh, James 1, 2 tells us, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. And so we are facing different trials. And you might be in your 20s and you're facing different trials, relationships and uh, uncertainties. Or you might be in your 50s and you're thinking, oh man, the uncertainties of what else is to come. The loss of a job or a loss of a loved one. And we face losses in this way. And this is what happens here. Uh, Joseph's story, uh, we remember last week, he endured and turned away the advances of Potiphar's wife. He stayed faithful. He did what was right. And for doing what was right, what happens is he is imprisoned. It tells us here that the Potiphar, who entrusted him with everything, a beloved 
servant-master relationship, Potiphar's affection turns now to anger. And it says in verse 19, As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me. His anger was kindled, and Joseph's master took him, put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in prison. Now, it says his anger was kindled. Prior to that, there was no anger. It was just pure joy and trust. And he trusted him with everything, and now he is angry towards him. I don't know if you've ever been at the end of someone's wrath or anger. When you know that someone is against you, and someone is really angry at you. It's a terrible feeling. And it's whether you are a child and you have to deal with that with a, a parent. Or whether you are a grown up and you have to deal with that with someone at work. Or someone online. Or someone is against you. And this is what Joseph is going through. And what's worse than this. And I would argue. We could argue that this is the worst type of situation to be in. To be falsely accused. Have you ever been falsely accused of something? There is nothing as infuriating as being falsely accused. All right? Someone might say, hey, how come you left the lights on in the kitchen? You say, I didn't leave the lights on in the kitchen. And we've all had these conversations in our homes. I didn't do it. They said, yes, you did it because I went upstairs first. So you left it on all night. And we're going to have to pay you know, you know how much elect the electric bill is. You say, I didn't do it. How come you left the AC on all day? I didn't do it. It's probably my child that did it, right? It's your child that did it. And we've all been on the end of that. And there is something so infuriating. And these are light examples. But can you imagine being falsely accused of making an advance towards someone when it was the other way around and him in all his integrity runs away? ran away, and now he is going to be imprisoned for this. Um, the victim of unrighteous anger, right? There's different psychologists that talk about this. Uh, one of them uh, describes this. Uh, Andrew Fuller describes that the feeling we experience is shame. He says all of us want to be believed. And the moment someone says, I don't believe you, they say, I don't trust you. I don't believe you. There is a sense of shame and anger that comes upon us. They say that we all want to be accepted and believed. Um, there is a term that is coined called a testimonial injustice amongst uh, psychologists. Testimonial injustice. And if you experience testimonial injustice, it's as if you are on the stand as a witness and you say, I saw it. It was a red light, that, you know, and the white car ran the red light and hit the black car. And they say, ah, we don't believe you. You're not credible. And if that happens in life and no one believes us, there's a sense of shame and anger that hits all of us. It says, why? Because Fuller says this. He says, we're always looking for that level of affirmation. So when we are falsely accused of a slip in integrity raises the question of whether we are as authentic as we thought we were. All of us want to be accepted. And when someone comes to you and says, no, you're not believable. No, you're not a person of integrity. No, what you say is not true. A sense of shame comes upon us. And this is what Joseph is experiencing. And it's easy to skim over this, right? Pardon me. It's easy to skim over this. Uh, but I want to take a moment to, for us to pause and think, what is it that he felt? 
A few years back, there was a college student from the University of Washington who went to study abroad in Italy. Uh, this infamous case of Amanda Knox. She went to Italy and she was accused of killing her sweetmate. She had gone out and came back and her sweetmate was murdered and her and her boyfriend now were uh, convicted of this crime. I remember seeing some of that and I, when I was going through this and I was kind of reading some stories about injustice this week and that name and face popped up. I, said, I remember. You know, maybe it's same with some of you, but I thought she was guilty because they didn't cover much about her story afterwards. But they found out after she spent four years in prison for something she didn't do, that it was somebody else. And uh, she was free to go. She talks about what she experiences, being falsely accused. And this is what she says. When you are accused of a horrific act you didn't do, you inevitably experience shock, disorientation, confusion. She talks about some of the physical things that have happened to her. There's tension above your right eyebrow, below your right nostril that sometimes triggers both to twitch uncontrollably, making yourself conscious about looking people in the face. There's spasms between the shoulder blades behind your heart. It makes it so hard to sit still. Um, and she talks about she feels dizzy, dazed, disoriented, forgetful, disconnected from your own body. You wake up drained, your whole body weighed down by lethargy. You cannot shake off. You feel sometimes dragging, sometimes crushing weight. And she goes on and on. You look at this verse here, these two verses that we read. It doesn't describe Joseph defending himself. One commentary points out about the swiftness of which the narrator reports the imprisonment of Joseph. So he is falsely accused, and next thing you know, he's in prison. He goes quietly. He goes as a slave who has no rights. He goes as someone who is not fighting back, and he goes in this way. And this gives us a little picture. Theologians call this a typology or a type uh, a picture of Christ in the future. Joseph gives us glimpses of what the future Messiah in the lineage of Abraham would look like. And Jesus, when he is uh, taken to be crucified, the prophet Isaiah describes it this way. He says, he was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that is before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth there's one aspect of christ as he is going he didn't go kicking and screaming saying i'm innocent i am sinless but there's a picture of him going quietly and many times in the gospels when you read this he is questioned are you the christ are you who it is and he remains silent and so joseph's silent suffering here gives us a picture of the one who is to come through his lineage of jesus christ so life is difficult. Life has its trials, and maybe you're facing a trial today. Uh, maybe this year has been a trying time. Maybe post-COVID, the lingering effects of COVID has continued on and on, and it has been so tough. The second truth about our trials is God has a purpose in all of our trials. There's a purpose in this. Look at verse 20, if you would. And Joseph's master took him, and put him into the prison, that place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. There's a little phrase here we could just overlook, but that is very significant. 
Where did he go? The place where the king's prisoners were confined. See, this is all done in God's purpose. He ends up not going to any prison, a normal prison, but he goes to where the king's prisoners were confined. This is going to be his access eventually, because we have uh, hindsight of 2020 seeing what happens, but he's going to be now connected to Pharaoh, being second in charge, saving the nation of Israel, eventually now bringing about the salvation of all people. But this was going to be the connecting point. If he had prospered where he was with Potiphar, he would have never had access to this kind of power. But he gets put into a prison where there are people who came straight from Pharaoh. And so there are connections. There's a line of communication. And so God puts him there. Does Joseph know? No, I don't think he does at this point. Right, we're reminded of the famous passage in Romans 8, 28. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. All things work together for good. The good, the bad, the highs and the lows. They all somehow work together. And he is put in this place. There's two parts I think we can focus on here. Because the very next verse in Romans 8, verse 29, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. The purpose God has for us going through trials is on a big level, he is moving through his history somehow that he had put Joseph in this position to now influence these people. And then he is going to get promoted. He is going to impact Egypt, eventually save Israel through Egypt. And so there is this big picture in history that God is using. And you are in the situation you're at. Where you live, where you go to school, where you work. The little group of uh, moms that you got to be friends with through your kids' playdates or whatever it is, the guys you met at the gym, somehow God has placed you there and God wants to use you in that situation. There is never just a time where we're there by accident. But so there's this big picture of God moving, but also there's something happening within. It says in verse 29 of Romans 8, to be conformed to the image of the Son. God is sanctifying us. God is changing us. Unfortunately, it is often during the trials that God teaches us the greatest of lessons. If you look back on your life, it will be the most difficult of times that you will say, God was teaching me something. God has taught me something during those trials. And so we see this here. God is working in the big picture outside of us, and he places us in a place. In a certain situation, God is working on purpose on the inside of us as well. Uh, there's a quote from C.S. Lewis. He says, they say to some temporal suffering, no future bliss can make up for it. Not knowing that heaven, once attained, will work backwards and turn even the agony into a glory. So he says, it is so difficult what you are going through. That once, that once heaven is attained, you work backwards, you look backwards, and even that agony, the hardest of times, will turn into glory. It will make sense. God has a purpose in your life. I remember the words of Jesus to his disciples 
when they're questioning what's going to happen, where he is going, and in John 13, 7, Jesus answers them, where I am, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward, you will understand. So Joseph, I believe, is in a position, he has no idea why he's put here. He's probably up at night thinking, I did all the right things, how did I end up here? And yet he has to trust not the injustice of mankind, but he has to trust the justice of God, that God is righteous. The third truth about trials is God is with us in our trials. I love how verse 21 starts. Here's 19 and 20, here's the bad news, but verse 21, but the Lord... And you see that phrase, that word, but God, but the Lord, often in the Bible. Things are going bad. You're ending up in prison. You were in the penthouse. Now you're in the prison. And yet it is at this time, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love. Gave him everything in the sight of the keeper of the prison. Um, But the Lord, the Lord was with him. And as you see in their uh, caps, All caps, the word Lord, it's his proper name of Yahweh. This is the covenant name. You could call him by name. He had signed his name. And so now it is the covenant God who is with him. And it's a reminder to us readers how he is with Joseph in prosperity and he is with Joseph in prison. We often have this mindset where I think it's kind of like we could say a karma mindset. We think, boy, if I did something good, or something good happens, we often attribute it to me doing something good. Let's say you're walking down the street. Let's say you're walking to the parking lot, and you find 10 bucks on the ground. You're like, oh, my gosh. Like, I, I mean, I, I sang really hard at church today. I mean, I sang well. It was good. I was good. God, I, I deserve this, and you grabbed 10 bucks, right? I deserve this. It's probably some kid's offering. But anyways, you say, okay, I, I deserve this. Or let's say you're on your way and you had 10 bucks in your pocket for lunch and it fell out somewhere. Where? Oh, I knew I shouldn't have been looking on Instagram during service. God is punishing me. I, sorry, God. There's a penalty. Sorry. And this is a karma mindset. When something good happens, we think we deserved it. When something bad happens, we think I've done something to deserve that. Uh, here's a silly example of that. I mean, uh, a little bit ago, I was down in Texas. At a, for a speaking engagement for a church there. And um, it, the church is based out of Austin. So I was a little excited to go to Austin, Texas. Who doesn't want to go to Austin, Texas? Pretty cool. But of course, the retreat site was not in Austin, Texas. It was an hour away in this little dusty little town called Giddings, Texas. I don't want to go to Giddings, Texas. I just wanted to go to Austin. The host from that church that invited me said, Pastor, when you get leave, you must eat your lunch at the airport. I said, why? Because if you as soon as you start going east, there is not one place to eat, and especially a place you might want to stop on the way, if you understand what I mean. You want to just get there. And he was telling me the truth. Anyways, I get to Giddings, and I preach, and I give the morning service uh, sermon during the worship service, and I'm looking online for some kind of civilization because I'm not due to speak till evening. And there happened to be a Walmart. I go to Walmart, right? A Walmart, and next to Walmart, there was a Starbucks. Oh, I can go to Starbucks. Uh, Civilization, finally. So, and then, um, 
I drive, I'm driving over to Starbucks and Walmart. On my way through this little dusty town with one main street in Giddings, all of a sudden I look in my rearview mirror, sirens are going. I'm the only car in all of Giddings, Texas, and now I'm pulled over. And I look over and he walks over to me with his big hat and with an accent you can imagine that would sound like a police officer in Giddings, Texas. Oh boy. And he says, you know, I'm not even going to try to say it, but he says, you know, uh, can I ask what you're doing in Giddings, Texas? And I said, ah. And uh, I was going to be smart with him. So what makes you think I'm not from Giddings, Texas? But I didn't say that. But I decided to pull out my pastor card, and I said, I'm here for a church retreat, sir. I'm here as a guest preacher. Oh, you're a preacher? I said, yes, I'm a preacher. I said, oh, where are you from? I said, from Los Angeles. I'm here to preach. I was not paying attention. I'm so sorry. And he says, well, pastor, you ran two stop signs on the way. I, I, was, going to, I was going to Starbucks, sorry. I like, you know, the retreat coffee, ha, 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 right? And uh, <laughs> I, I put on the full charm to him. And he says, well, pastor, God bless you. We're going to just give you a warning and you can go. I said, no, God bless you even more, right? I was like, double-handed, God bless you, right? And, and uh, he let me go. Now it is easy. If I had this karma mindset to think, as soon as I saw the lights, oh, God, I knew that sermon was no good this morning. God, you're getting my attention. And it's easy when he said, I'm going to let you go with a warning. God bless you. It's easy. It would have been easy with the karma mindset to look at. God, I knew I hit it out of the park. Oh, it was so good. I know. That's why. No, God is still present. God is there in prosperity and in prison. And so when we're reading this, as Moses has put this story together, he's letting us know that God is the constant presence. God does not change. Our circumstances go up and down and up and down all the time. And oftentimes we think when it is up, boy, God is with me. When it is down, God, you, where are you? Why does the psalmist in Psalm 23 remind us, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. He wants the reader to know when we are in the valley, God is there. His rod and his staff, they comfort me. He is there. And so we must choose to thrive. I want to encourage you, whatever you're going through, whatever trials life is bringing your way today, decide to thrive in the Lord. Don't just barely get by. Don't just go in survival mode, coasting along till this is over. Today's a day that I could thrive and live for God. This description here of what he, now he is in prison. Joseph is in prison. And the description of what he did, does in prison sounds awfully familiar. And this is the integrity of Joseph. He doesn't change. So whatever he was doing at Potiphar's house, he continues to just be faithful in prison. And Let me read here, verse 22. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him and whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. This sounds almost verbatim of how he was acting at Potiphar's 
house. In the previous verses, in verse 4, 5, 6, chapter 39, when he was in prosperity, it says the same thing. Joseph found favor in his sight, attended him. He made him overseer of the house, put him in charge of all that he had. Right? Verse 6, he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him he had no concern about anything. He was now in the, a different circumstance, but he chose to thrive in God. He chose to remember God's presence, to depend on God's justice, and continue to do what is right. He did what was right when things were comfortable and good and in abundance. He continues to live and do what is right in prison. Deuteronomy 32.4 reminds us of God's character. The rock his work is perfect, for all his ways are justice, the God, a God of faithfulness, and without iniquity, just and upright is he. This is the God that we serve. And whether we face injustice and we face trials and hardships, it's okay. Because our God, the rock, is the one who is perfect, and all his ways are just. Derek Kidner talks about Joseph's stability, integrity. He says this, Joseph's outstanding abilities and integrities crowned with the touch of God were constant at every level. As a prisoner and as a governor, he was simply the same man. This is astonishing. Whether he is now in Potiphar's house or he is in prison, he is the same guy. Oh, you want me to take care of this? I'll take care of this. You don't hear him grumbling, complaining, going on strike, saying, God, I'm not going to do anything. He continues on. We today base our whole lives on what circumstances bring our way. You know, this is the time of season, right? This weekend there was the NFL draft. Some of the guys, you were into that. And uh, they show, you know, it's always fun. They show them with their mom and loved ones and then the, with the 21st pick. Right, Los Angeles Rams, select. Call them not, right? Or whatever. Whoa! And then everyone's excited. Right? Oh my gosh. It, it, but what if you don't get selected? Right? And you see some of these videos of these high school seniors where they open up their email. I said, do they really, is this really real? But anyways, they, they open it up and they get their acceptance letter from their dream school. And they go, oh my gosh, I got it. And they're screaming and everyone, it's like, it's like, that's it. But what happens when you get there and you become a sophomore, junior? It's all the same. What I'm saying is these are good things. These are gifts God gives to us. But we as a people of God, we don't let our highs get too high over circumstances. Circumstances don't dictate our joy. Why does James tell us, consider it pure joy when you face trials of various kinds? How can you consider it pure joy? Because God is there. So when something happens, it's God is still with me, and I could now be joyful. I could come to church and sing joyful songs and the lyrics that are up here because God is with me. God is there. When the lows happen in life, you get humiliated, you lose, you lose things, you lose a job, you lose this, or lose a friend or whatever it is, and you are left out, and you seem like you're all alone in the pit of prison. It's okay, I could still rejoice because God is with me. 
And this is exactly what that famous verse in Philippians 4.13 is talking about. That is often used out of context. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. We know that verse. But the context of it in Philippians 4, verse 11, not that I am speaking of being in need or have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. God is with me. And so whether I am in plenty, whether I am in hunger, I am in abundance or I am in need, I can do all things. I will not be moved because God is with me. I want to encourage us all. God loves you, cares for you, and he is still in control, and you trust in him. You lean on him, and he is guiding and holding on to your life, and you can rejoice and consider it pure joy, whatever you face. Could we bow our heads in prayer together? Lord, we thank you that you are a constant presence in our lives. Lord, we make the mistake of looking for you in our circumstances, gauging your love through whatever the world brings our way. But Lord, you are beyond that. You are there in person. You are there next to us. You are there working in us and through us. So, Lord, we can rejoice. We could thrive. My dear, Lord, they're, they're, our dear brothers and sisters, many are going through, Lord, the valleys. Lord, they're there. And yet, you are there. And so would you remind us of that truth. We thank you, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name.